Hey, my friend, this is Joe Bakmotsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Listen, having made it past cancer, I know exactly what it's like to live with uncertainty, especially now, in the time of COVID-19 pandemic, when we want to do our best to stay safe, because today life is even more challenging especially for those of us who in one way or another have been touched by cancer. You know, now more than ever, we need better ways of navigating the everyday reality of life beyond cancer. And so today we are talking to Damian Bolton, who's a clinical professor at the University of Melbourne and head of Austin Urology Unit here in Australia. And Damian is an incredibly passionate about driving change to really improve the quality of life and the outcomes for patients who are living with prostate cancer. Damian, well, I was really struck by the significance of this paper that you wrote called not all prostate cancer is the same. I mean, even this, this, the name alone, not all prostate cancer is the same. Damien, what does it mean to you? Well, I think there's a key message in there that's apparent in the title. Prostate cancer, probably more than most cancers, varies enormously in terms of its aggression. The vast majority of prostate cancers, of course, are the types of tumours that we can just keep an eye on and observe and that won't need aggressive treatment. And the small number that do, in turn, give that group a bit of a bad name. Most men who get diagnosed with prostate cancer will have early curable treatment and treatment that doesn't need intervention at all. There's this small number that present with widely advanced disseminated disease that will be fatal to them. But our message is to try and bring that group forward in their diagnosis to when the tumour is either easily treatable or can just be followed expectantly with the understanding that men will not die of the cancer if it's identified at that point. Exactly. And there is, it seems like there's a lot of misunderstanding from what you're saying around this prostate cancer. Damien, what is the most misunderstood belief around prostate cancer? That uh, misunderstanding is definitely true. And you are forever influenced by the people you know who've had prostate cancer. So traditionally, we've seen old men die a painful death, have a long and infirm course with their prostate cancer. And it's probably the recognition of these men that gives rise to this main misconception. I think the main misconception of prostate cancer is that if you're diagnosed with it, you're going to have a painful death from secondary disease in your bones, or alternatively, you're going to have requirement for radiation or surgery that will leave you incontinent or impotent. And in fact, those are absolute misconceptions. The vast majority of men diagnosed with prostate cancer will need either no treatment or will need treatment that gives them very little in the way of side effects. Yeah, that is incredibly um, eye-opening, um, Damien. I think it certainly takes probably a lot of people aback because of this lack of awareness and, and understanding of pro- prostate cancer, it can really mean that it's diagnosed at the later stage, which can really dramatically affect the outcome of your treatment and not only that, but also your, your, the quality of life. So, Damien, what are the common symptoms of someone who's been newly diagnosed? And how does that differ from a patient whose disease might be more advanced? 
That is a very key point in prostate cancer diagnosis. The vast majority of men diagnosed with prostate cancer have no symptoms at all. And indeed, if you can have it diagnosed on the basis of a simple PSA blood test and a subsequent MRI scan of the prostate, then nearly all people identified with tumour that is confined to the prostate at that time can expect to have a curative outcome from their surgery or their radiation if it's required. So most men with prostate cancer that's at a curable stage won't have any symptoms. By the time people have got to having symptoms of back pain or hip pain or the like, by that time the tumour has spread and we do have very good treatments available for them, but we would encourage all men to come forward and be blood tested to make sure that no prostate cancer is diagnosed at that advanced stage. In its own way, every prostate cancer death is preventable if you can identify it at an organ-confined time and treat it accordingly. When you've had a career in dealing with prostate cancer, you're always influenced by remembering the number of men that came along with advanced disease that had spread to their bones or spread to their pelvic bones, spread to their spine, spread to their hips, and they've required radiation and ongoing advanced treatment to provide pain relief. And it's the recognition of the difficult clinical course that those men face that I think drives most medical practitioners to get men to have their PSA tests done regularly and their prostate cancer diagnosed early. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like symptoms also play a key part in hopefully picking up things early, even if, if, even if some people may not be getting symptoms at all. But in your opinion, are there any symptoms that are commonly missed by patients? Well, by the time men are in the age range where they're at risk of prostate cancer, they're often at an age in their life where they're starting to get urinary symptoms related to benign enlargement of the prostate more often. So by the time someone is noticing that their urinary stream might be slowing, that they might be having to avoid more frequently, that they might be having to get up to pass urine overnight, at that stage, they're definitely in the age range where they should have their prostate cancer risk evaluated with a blood test. But more often than not, the symptoms that are experienced will not be directly consequential upon the presence of a prostate cancer, which can be particularly small and still produce a PSA change that's detectable on the blood test. Yeah, and you know, Damien, I was like intrigued to finally see the proof that we actually don't remember the information received during stressful times. So, for example, like when you might be receiving a cancer diagnosis or discussing potential treatment options. So, what is your advice for people around how to really best manage this? In the current society that we live in, we are all very time poor and we like to do things very quickly and efficiently. But for the vast majority of us, if you are given a cancer diagnosis, you can't process the full ramifications of that immediately. So the best advice for patients is to stop and think, to reflect on what they've been told and to go back and speak again to their clinician and ask for more information to clarify any questions they have. Very quickly, the most appropriate management course will become apparent because there are very standard best practice algorithms that most clinicians will operate by. But it's very hard to process it straight away. 
And it's understandably a distressing time with implications for your family, implications for work, implications for other plans you might have. But I would encourage most men to think deeply about this before they embark on treatment. The vast majority of men, if they're given appropriate treatment, will find that their tumour is totally cured either by surgery or radiation and that they will have a normal life expectancy that they would have had even if they didn't have the diagnosis of prostate cancer. Yeah, Damon, I think it's such a vital point that you raise in terms of you know, uh, having to stop and think and having to kind of process it all and, uh, and kind of come back for, for more questions. I know that when I got my cancer diagnosis, I, I was, uh, I think f- I completely forgot everything that <laughs> was discussed in the, probably the first appointment. It just completely flew out of my mind. And so, so thank you for recognizing the, the voice of the patient and, and the different needs that, that we all have. And Damien, so for a person that's living with cancer, like what advice do you have on how they really best recognize their own needs for information and for support? And where should they turn for that, you know? Well, it's extremely intimidating to be given a cancer diagnosis and it impacts on yourself in so many ways, emotionally, in terms of your relationships with others, in terms of the recognition that you're going to need ongoing interaction with different people in the healthcare sector. So the most important bit of advice you can give to someone in that circumstance is to slowly go through and recognize all of these changes that might need to be made or might need to be either just recognized with the realization that you might not need to adjust your life because those things are not going to be relevant to you. For sake of example, someone who will get a diagnosis of prostate cancer, the first thing they might think of is that they're going to need uh, extensive chemotherapy, when in fact, that is not the case for the vast majority of men with prostate cancer who are diagnosed, hopefully, at an early stage. It's often important to write a list, even not just itemizing the changes or the different treatments that are going to be required, but how they'll impact upon the hobbies you might have, plans for travel, plans for meeting up with friends in terms of other commitments that you might have for your family, your relationships with extended family or children who might need to be made aware that you have this diagnosis if there's a strong family history of it. But it's important just to be methodical and sensible and deal with these in a fashion that takes the emotion out of it. Because the truth is, with appropriate treatment, most men will be cured from it. And dealing with all of these other aspects of it is just a component of that holistic care that should provide the best outcome. And this is such a great point that you make, Damien. I love it. Writing things out on paper, it might seem weird or something that you wouldn't normally do, but I think if you get things out on paper, it's out of your head and you can kind of look at it and, and be able to you know, see what's really going on, like, like you say, without emotion, right? Well, I'm a big one for having a list of things and ticking them all off and knowing that the obligations you have have been fulfilled. But very quickly, for someone with cancer diagnosis, when it's early prostate tumour specifically, they'll see that, yes, I can deal with this problem, I can deal with the next problem. For sake of example, if that person is having surgery as their primary mode of treatment, there'll be an emphasis on them learning pelvic floor exercises, which they can gain proficiency in very quickly. And people, I think, then derive some confidence and comfort for the fact that they are dealing with each of the issues that must be faced rather than the whole cancer diagnosis and treatment 
uh, swallowing them up as it's just uh, too much of a big problem to be dealt with. Yeah, exactly. It's it's what the whole key theme I found in in, in the paper that uh, you wrote. That not all prostate cancer is the same. It's really the empowerment of the patient. So, Damien, what are the things that you wish that uh, you know your patient would share more with you during the consultation? Well, the key thing is for patients to have an understanding of the disease that they're dealing with. But that's a simple thing. They should understand whether the disease is confined to the prostate or whether it's advanced beyond the prostate, whether the disease is low-grade, that it may not need treatment, or intermediate grade or higher where it will need treatment. And then they should know the different options that are available to them and the likelihood that those options are going to return them back to their normal life with the most minimal number of side effects. It's also then important for patients to understand the emotional impacts on this, that they might need to rely on a partner for support during their treatment process. It might also be important for them to understand the financial impact of it. If someone is having treatment by radiation, for sake of example, where they might need to go along and have treatment each day for several weeks, that can have a big implication on their ability to return to work. And similarly, although there's less time off work associated with surgery, particularly the more minimally invasive laparoscopic or robot-assisted operations, there will be time that they need away from their employment, particularly if they do heavy work or manual work rather than office work. And the financial impact upon men who do those more labour-intensive jobs is disproportionately high in the diagnosis of prostate cancer. So it's important that people recognise all of these issues and deal with them in a methodical fashion so that they understand the process that they'll go through and there's no surprises for them partway through their course of treatment. Exactly. And it, and also for a person with cancer, you know, as you know, it can be really weird or even intimidating, you know, to talk about symptoms and worries directly with, you know, the medical specialist, the nurse, or even their partner, because you know, for some of us, it really doesn't come naturally. So what advice do you have for those of us who find ourselves in that position? Well, the first thing will be not to be overwhelmed by it, to realize that numerous men have been down this path and the vast, vast majority of them return to a normal life with very little implications of the diagnosis and treatment of prostate cancer, provided this is found at an early stage, which a simple blood test will facilitate. Secondarily, it's going to be important that they understand what their treating physician is advising them to do. So for sake of example, if their doctor is advising them to undergo scanning to make sure there's no metastatic disease that is spread to the bones or other organs, the treating doctor is probably doing this to dot the I's and cross the T's of their treatment plan, not because they suspect that they will have advanced disease, which is usually uncommon at diagnosis of prostate cancer that's PSA uh, testing based. Similarly, when their treating physician might refer them to a pelvic floor physiotherapist to optimise their pelvic floor strength prior to treatment by surgery or radiation, it's important that the patient really understand what's involved and make a commitment to practice and learn their pelvic floor exercises because your return to a normal quality of life will be much faster and much more easily facilitated by taking advantage of that education. And then thirdly, to recognise that there is no downside 
in asking more questions and seeking more assistance. I'm a big fan of patients seeing a counsellor if they want to, to discuss the implications that might happen to their family from any tumour diagnosis, support groups, friends who might have been diagnosed uh, with prostate cancer. Pretty much most men in their 50s know someone who's been diagnosed with it. And I think the majority of men who have been treated successfully for it are very happy to be of assistance to other guys in a similar circumstance. Yeah, that, that's a powerful comment you make again about empowering people to speak up about the struggle, about their worries. And, you know, when it comes to really, you know, negative emotions that come up for you when you're diagnosed with cancer, as a man who is really forced to confront those worries and then changes to, to their daily life and to have that level of control taken away, what sort of support should you seek? Well, I think a key thing is to have the support of a trusted friend or partner who you can express your concerns to and with whom you can identify a plan for dealing with them. So often, if you've got questions specifically for your treating doctor, it helps a good deal to go through them and verbalise them and write them down and have them ready to deal with as a consequence of conversation with your uh, support person for when you see the specialist again next. So there might be questions about how this is going to potentially interfere with continence, how it might interfere with work, how it might interfere with fertility. All of those things are questions that pretty much every specialist will have dealt with repeatedly, but it's a key component to recognise the individuality of those circumstances and how they'll affect the specific instance of you, yourself as a patient and writing those things down and putting them forward to your treating doctor can be a great source of relief because there's usually a very straightforward and simple explanation for the way about and the way around any of these problems. Greta, Damien, you, you, you touched on some of the types of questions that you want people to be asking you, but really when it comes to seeing men who are just newly diagnosed with prostate cancer, like what are some of the specific questions that you really hope that they would be asking you or their own doctor? The key points in the early diagnosis of prostate cancer are can this tumour quite reasonably be expected to be cured by surgery or radiation because it's organ confined? And indeed, for most men, that's the case. Secondarily, the key thing is how they'll undergo a return to normal activities of life after such, such treatment, and that might involve education with regard to exercise generally, weight loss, pelvic floor strength, uh, medical adjustments otherwise because, you know, people might need assistance with catheter management very briefly afterwards and that's a novel and new thing for most men when they're having prostate cancer treatment. But most of those issues will usually be well addressed by a urology nurse who is usually freely available through all of the different practices and hospitals where people would usually undertake treatment for prostate cancer. Absolutely. And, and nurses are incredible. I just want to give a shout out to all oncology nurses, just helpful they, they are to 
to all of us who are going through an incredibly difficult time. And Damien, I know like from personal experience that it can be so hard to take that first step, you know, to make a phone call to, to a helpline or to book a, an appointment with a specialist or to bring up a concern that you have with your doctor because you don't really know what to expect, right? So what advice do you have around dealing with the emotional aspect of cancer? I think your point is very well taken that the vast majority of men in this circumstance will do well from discussing their emotional and their general needs with as many people as they can. So it's a very good idea to discuss these with your specialist, most of whom will be very receptive to dealing with them and will have dealt with these sort of issues on numerous occasions. Secondly, it's often very valuable to deal with your general practitioner who will also have had experience it's never a problem to get a second opinion if questions still remain unanswered. The value of patient support groups can't be understated, particularly for men who might have more advanced disease and who are going to have a requirement for ongoing therapy with hormone therapy or the like, where they'll find numerous other men in a similar situation, all living productive and fulfilling lives, and where they'll gain a lot of general support. Similarly, there are multiple websites, particularly those from very well-respected organisations that are prostate cancer advocacy groups and the major universities, both in Australia and abroad, that can provide very good information that will be extremely reassuring for lots of men with the diagnosis of prostate cancer. Yeah, these are some, some incredible points that you make, Damien. I'll come back to the information in a second. But I just want to really come back to the support groups. I know we touched on this before already. I've been a huge fan of it. Like going to our online support group has helped me tremendously because it's really filled with people who know exactly what it's like. And it really gives you that other perspective. Like, you know, it's fantastic to obviously to have the connection with your specialist your nurse, but also having to hear from someone who's been in that place before and they know what it's like, it just can give you that extra layer of, of comfort, right? Oh, absolutely. Men who participate in face-to-face -face or online support groups very clearly identify that they are not alone in their journey, that other men have been through this on numerous occasions, that other men are coping well with it and live a life that is very similar if not identical, to how they did prior to a cancer diagnosis. And that could be tremendously empowering for men. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to the information, you know, you, you touched on, you know, solid uh, evidence-based websites. It's so hugely important in the age that we live in right now, where fake news and, and snake oil salesmen are really making it harder to find real evidence-based advice. So, Damien, how do you go about separating misinformation from the truth? That's a really good topic to talk about. And its significance is demonstrated by an occurrence that I noticed. About five years ago, my colleagues Nathan Lorenchuk and John Yaxley and I wrote an article that addressed this, which I think we called fake news and clickbait in urology. And uh, we had it published in the British Journal of Urology, more as a just thought piece we were putting out there that identified this as a problem. And it was one of the five most downloaded articles for the year from that journal, demonstrating that this is a problem that so many clinicians recognise. So I would just encourage all patients to recognise that 
information that is obtained from reputable sites is much more reliable than someone who's offering a quick solution that doesn't seem to be supported by evidence. If it's put forward as an easy cure for prostate cancer and it sounds too good to be true, then the truth is it probably is too good to be true. Most men who have prostate cancer will be able to be treated well and cured without resort to fringe treatments that have very little in the way of long-term benefit proven for them. And I mean, when it comes to dealing with information and separating you know, myth from fact, how has that changed, do you think, from the perspective of the COVID-19 pandemic? COVID-19 has been a huge earthquake, I think, in healthcare. But the consequent effect on cancer care during the COVID time, I think, will be the aftershock that leaves a lot of damage as well. It's important for men to realize that just because someone else in the community might have COVID-19, that your prostate cancer won't stop growing. And so all men must continue to be aware of the importance of having PSA testing and following through in a methodical fashion with their treatment for prostate cancer. And indeed, not just men with prostate cancer, this applies to people with kidney tumors, bladder tumors, women with breast cancer. COVID-19, of course, will have a huge impact, but we're fortunate to live in a world and in a system in Australia, and indeed in most of Asia, where good treatment for cancer care is available in spite of the presence of COVID-19 in the background. Yeah, and you know, Damien, as a medical specialist, you are so deeply involved in cancer treatment and follow-ups and in research and in clinical trial. What impact have you seen from the pandemic right now? Well, when the COVID-19 pandemic started, most of our clinical trials with regard to cancer, and indeed a lot of laboratory work, was put on hold. At that time, there was even a freeze on applications for non-COVID-19 related research through different ethics committees. But now we're getting back to full functioning of these areas. And indeed, I think the understanding of the implication of COVID-19 which will be around with us for a long time, upon cancer care is something that's going to be valuable for patients being treated for prostate cancer and other cancers in the future. There's no doubt that now we have a much better understanding of how we need to prioritise cancer treatment in the setting of COVID-19 being identifiable in the greater population. And in spite of COVID-19, most men are still going on to get quite appropriate prostate cancer treatment and indeed treatment for all other cancers at the current time. Damon, have the guidelines for treatment changed with the pandemic? Not so much the whole guidelines for treatment, although we tend to be quite specific and personalised in certain circumstances. So for sake of example, we're encouraging patients to have less time in hospital if at all possible, and that has involved a transition to more a minimally invasive surgery, such as with robotic and laparoscopic prostatectomy, rather than with open surgery. Similarly, we've been encouraging people to have more in the way of short-term admission radiation therapy, like brachytherapy, rather than having to turn up every day for six weeks for extended external beam radiation therapy. Absolutely. And Damien, lastly, are the cancer survivors or maybe those living with cancer, are they more likely to be impacted by COVID-19? Is there anything that we need to pay particular attention to? Well, fortunately, the vast majority of men 
who've had their prostate cancer identified at an early time will be cured as a consequence of their surgery or radiation if required, or they won't need additional treatment other than just monitoring with PSA tests. So these people are probably not going to be impacted substantially by COVID-19 more than any other member of the community. The group that we're particularly concerned about is those men who've got advanced disease, those men who might have disease that's spread and have required hormonal therapy or might have required chemotherapy. And so for that group, we're trying very hard to shield them from anyone who might have been a contact of someone with COVID-19. That group does have an increased risk. And to that end, we sort of redouble our efforts to try and identify prostate cancer at an early organ-confined and curable stage. Which is more so important now than ever before. Thank you so much, Damien. I really appreciate your time. Hey, my friend, this is Joe Bakmulski, host of the Simplify Cancer podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, because I know that this is an especially crazy time for all of us. And if you're struggling a little bit right now with the lockdown, with the COVID-19 pandemic, then I, I, I urge you to check out my 14-day lockdown challenge. How to stay sane, steady, and strong in the time of pandemic. You know, each day I'm sharing what I've really learned from cancer about dealing with isolation, with worry and fear. And each day we're going to tackle a different topic. So if that sounds interesting to you, then go to 14day, that's one four, 14daylockdownchallenge.com. Also, if you're a cancer patient who's going through you know, potential cancer treatment right now, then I urge you to go to simplifycancer.com and check out some of the free tools that I've created to kind of help you out along the way. If you go to simplifycancer.com to the tools section, you're going to find out the outcome map, which just shows you how to really work through specific worries, like in milestones, like, like a checkup, or maybe some specific symptoms that you've got, like an ache or a pain, and you're gonna figure out what to do next. It's a really simple tool that can help you to really work through that. There's also online community guide, which is how to really find the top three online communities for most cancer. So you can really check in with people who've been through it before, like connect with them, ask questions. They're gonna be there for you because they know exactly what it's like, you know, what to expect from treatment and beyond. Also, I've got a PDF called your first oncologist visit checklist. And here I've got all the questions that you want to be asking your specialist. So you can just print it out and take it with you. There's room to make notes. And also make sure that you can kind of prompt the conversation and make sure that you really don't forget. The other thing I've got for you is the testicular cancer support kit. I've done a whole bunch of videos for you on the things that you can really, you know, find out about dealing with testicular cancer from the perspective of someone who's been through it. This is not medical advice. This is just from my personal experience of dealing with cancer. Things that questions that you might have about fertility, about having sex, all of that sort of stuff. Like how does it feel, and guide you along the way, and hopefully make your journey easier. So check that out as well. And speaking of my experience, you might also want to check out <laughs> Simplify Cancer. Man's Guide to Navigating the Everyday Reality of Cancer. 
This is the book that I wrote talking about the four main challenges that all of us guys must overcome when we're dealing with cancer. If you're interested in seeing what that's all about, go to simplifycancer.com. The links are pretty much <laughs> everywhere on the website and you know I'll tell you more about it. Other than that, thanks so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time. This podcast was produced with the support of Jensen Australia and New Zealand. Jensen Silek Proprietary Limited. Views and opinions expressed in this presentation are those of the presenters alone and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinion of Jensen Silek Proprietary Limited or any employees thereof.